Hello and a warm welcome back to this week's episode of the Face Yoga Expert podcast. First of all, I want to say a huge thank you to each and every one of you who tune in every week and listen to me talking and listen to my amazing guests as well. It means so, so much. And this podcast has been going since January 2020 and it's just so wonderful to see how this community of listeners grows each and every month. And I feel hugely grateful for all of you. And if you do get a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would mean so much to me. It really gives me motivation to carry on making the most amazing content for you. And also I get to know exactly what you like and what you enjoy of what I'm doing. So if you listen to this on Apple, so maybe you listen to it on your iPhone or your iPad, or you listen to it on your MacBook and you listen to it via your iTunes or Apple app, please do go and rate and review it. If you can give it a five-star review, that would be so much appreciated. And please write a little review as well. I'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. And also if you're on Instagram, screenshot when you're listening to an episode, tag me in, Face Yoga Expert on Instagram, and then I will reshare it. And also it's nice again for me to see which episodes you're really enjoying. So please do tag me in and GM me and let me know how you're finding certain episodes and what you would like more of as well. If there's any particular guests that you'd like me to get on the show, please let me know. And talking of guests, this week we have May Simpkin. Now, regular listeners may well remember May. She came on the podcast quite a while ago. She's a very renowned nutritionist and something which she really specializes in and talks a lot about is menopause and perimenopause. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the importance of nutrition, of exercise and of relaxation to navigate our way through hormonal changes that we will all experience as women. Some of us are already deep into it. Others of us haven't yet got there. But either way, all the advice that May gives in this episode is so helpful for people of any age, but definitely if you are in that perimenopause or menopause stage of life. I know you're going to absolutely love this episode, so let's dive straight in. Welcome, May, or I should say welcome back to the Face Yoga Expert podcast. It's lovely to have you on here again. Thank you. It's really lovely to come back. Thank you so much. Well, we've got so much that we want to talk about. So we sort of decided let's get you back on the podcast because something we really want to dive in today is to menopause, really, because it's something I know that you teach a lot about, you talk a lot about, you're running amazing retreats really based around menopause and navigating our way through menopause in a very natural way. So that's really what the theme of today's podcast is going to be. Yes, I mean, menopause, it's a subject frankly, close to my heart. So, you know, I, I'm going through it myself. I'm, I, I, every time I think I'm through the other end, you know, we get more symptoms coming through, more I need to address. And the more that happens, the more I delve deeper into, you know, what, the, what those natural solutions are. And, you know, I, I've managed to do it. I think it's very doable. And I love to share uh, what I've gleaned, what I've learned, what I've experienced. And, and also, of course, based on my professional experience, 
expertise as a nutritionist. So, you know, there's so much synergy there on a personal and professional level. So, um, yes, very happy to talk about that. And thank you for inviting me to talk about this subject. Of course. And I'd love to know, actually, you know, you say that you've learned a lot about your own personal journey through menopause. What have been some of the key takeaways that you feel that you have learned? Well, I mean, as a nutritionist, you would expect me to say that I eat well, I live well, you know, I do walk the talk, I practice what I preach. Um, And yet, when I started encountering those um, classic menopause symptoms, so, you know, they differ for everybody, it starts at different phases, different ages for everybody. Um, So, you know, there isn't any one time where you suddenly think I am in menopause, the symptoms sort of creep up on you. Um, And initially, you know, I was getting these symptoms, you know, for me, it was things like hot flushes. Uh, Suddenly I couldn't sleep as well. You know, I used to be one of these people that would, you know, my head would hit the pillow. That is it. I'm asleep. I've had a busy, active, fruitful day. I sleep well. And I relied on that. So, you know, I would wake up in the morning feeling revived, feeling energized, um, ready to seize the day that stopped happening. And that became a real problem. If a, For any, any of us, you know, we need to be um, active. We need to have that energy. We can't start off our day fatigued and, you know, exhausted, um, not feeling like you're firing on all cylinders. And that's how I initially started to think, hmm, perhaps this is what the menopause is all about. And perhaps it's something I need to work on. So what I did was, started to really sort of enhance what I did already. And I think this is what sometimes people feel is that you've got to go all out and, you know, find major solutions, find new solutions. Initially, actually, what you need to do is do what you're doing, but even more, so more exaggerated. What you used to do just didn't doesn't work anymore. It doesn't even touch the sides. So you've got to really exaggerate the good habits I'm talking about, of course. Um, and, and it may well be that you need to address the habits that are sabotaging um, your health and, and making those symptoms worse. But for me, on a personal level, it was about enhancing and exaggerating the good habits. So eating really even better, um, really focusing on the food groups that work and avoiding the food groups that don't work. Exercise, cannot stress enough the importance of exercise. I really can't. I mean, if you think, you know, I think it's important, it's just hugely, hugely influential on how you feel and your ability to cope. Um, And then just general everyday relaxation coping techniques, because that's what it's all about. So yeah, food, exercise, and your general coping techniques, which is all about relaxation and de-stressing. So those are my three top tips. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you say sort of exaggerating the things that you know already work and also shifting and changing. So perhaps we've been in the habit for maybe 10 years or 20 years of doing, you know, a little bit of breathing exercises, a little bit of meditation here and there. But actually now perhaps that's stepping that up and doing that every morning. Or perhaps we've been sort of maybe cutting down our sugar here and there, but maybe it's actually looking at that a little bit more seriously so exaggerating those healthy habits I think it's such a 
such a key message and such a simple message. Um, it is, despite yeah. Of course, not always being easy. I mean, we all know that the healthy habits aren't always the easiest habits. You know, when we do them, they pay off, of course, but they aren't always easy. And let's break those down a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the food, first of all. So if you mm-hmm. were to share, and this is your area of expertise, of course, you know, this is what you've been doing for a very, very long time is teaching people about healthy eating habits and how to incorporate that into our day-to-day life. But if you were to sort of share with us perhaps three key foods or food groups that you would say, actually, we need to start reducing a little bit or avoiding a little bit. And then perhaps three key foods or food groups that you would say, actually, we need to start increasing these a little bit to help us navigate our way through the menopause or even perimenopause as well. Because I know a lot of my listeners are in that perimenopause stage as well as many, many that are in the menopause stage. Yes. I mean, you know, food is my passion. And for me, that is fundamental. What we eat makes a huge difference to how we feel, you know, ultimately, you know, how we are. Because if you don't feel good and you have to get through your day, it's a lot harder to get through your day. So eating the right foods is fundamental. And let me just say, this applies for perimenopause absolutely because you need to start it from when you um, are approaching and like I said earlier there is no definitive time change it creeps up on you you may not even recognize it as perimenopause and that doesn't matter to be honest this is the way we should all be eating but it comes back to that that what we were just talking about exaggerating and being more um, strict about it Having said the word strict, I don't want anybody to feel that there are any rules when it comes to this because life is for living. And as soon as you start putting rules of you can't have this, you can't do this, don't do this, don't do that, life becomes even harder. And we don't need to do that to ourselves. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make. Um, You know, they think we've got to do this massive overhaul. That is not the case. What we need to do is think about how we can introduce healthy habits, healthy foods, healthy food groups, every day. So they just become what we eat, what we do. And that is really what I call the May way, which is a phrase I've coined um, because there is a May way. It's not a diet. It's not anything prescriptive. It's a way of life, a way of eating that works for you. And that's what we need to get to. But if there's going to be some principles that I can help with to help achieve the May way, it's going to be these things. So when it comes to food, what I would say, and this is specifically for perimenopause and of course menopause, the big food group, and I'm sure nobody is going to be surprised to hear me say, but the big food group we need to watch out for is sugar. And the reason is, it's not just that it's bad for you. The reason is, is that it plays havoc with your hormone balance and particularly your sugar balance. When you get sugar surges, that is when you get the symptoms um, that don't make you feel good. So you're going to get palpitations, you're going to get hot sweats, you're going to um, have symptoms of low blood sugar. And that is your body alerting your brain to the fact that you don't have enough blood sugar 
you might need to go and eat sugar. So it's actually sending out all these messages to make you not feel good, to make you go and um, eat sugar. Now, those same symptoms are exactly the same symptoms that you may be experiencing in perimenopause and menopause. So imagine if you've got them already because of a disruption in your sex hormones, so estrogen, progesterone, and even testosterone, and then you've also got them because of a disruption in blood sugars, then you've got a double whammy going on, and that's even harder to deal with. So if you can balance your blood sugars by not eating refined sugars, so not eating you know, chocolate bars, um, sweet fizzy drinks, cakes, sweets, biscuits, chocolates, anything like that that is just blatant sugar on its own, you are going to help alleviate those symptoms. You're not going to get a surge of sugar into your bloodstream. It's going to be a more balanced release if you're eating even those foods with other food groups like fiber or protein that will slow down that release. So that is one food group you absolutely must treat with care. So, you know, do not eat them on their own. If you are going to eat them, so say as a dessert or as a snack, think about adding some protein or some fiber um, with that with that food to slow down the release. And then you're going to at least avoid the surge of sugar that then results in those symptoms that I've just talked about. So sugar is one group. Alcohol is another one that we can't ignore. And it's a sensitive subject. And it's one that I'm always very, very careful about with my clients because the problem is that alcohol is really ingrained in our social life and it's just ingrained in day-to-day life, even on a family level with your partner, um, you know, with your children, if your children are older, it's part of our life. But what I want to say to you is that it is incredibly sabotaging, not only from a um, gut health perspective, which is fundamental to our overall health. You know, alcohol is a gut irritant. It's going to make your gut more sensitive. It's going to make the foods that you eat more difficult to deal with. You're then going to experience symptoms that make it harder for you to keep, to, to, process your food, digest your food, and ultimately benefit from the food that you're eating, you know, taking in those good nutrients um, from the food that you're eating. So alcohol is going to irritate, but it's also going to make you feel worse. It's going to disrupt your sleep. Now, your sleep is already disrupted because of the menopause and the perimenopause. So of course, if you're going to disrupt it as well because of alcohol, because I think, you know, many people report that they fall asleep easily with alcohol, but actually it's a disrupted night's sleep. So it's a more fitful night. You're less likely to sleep deeply and reach into that REM, that deep, deep restorative sleep phase during the night. So if you're going to disrupt that, you're going to wake up not feeling refreshed, not revived, not invigorated. And that again is going to make your day harder. Um, So we've got sugar and we've got um, alcohol. Those are my sort of top groups that I would say we need to watch. Now, with sugar, we can also move into a sort of more general group of carbohydrates. Now, I do not want anyone to take away from this that I am anti-carbs. I'm absolutely not. We need carbs. Carbs are our energy source. But we need to eat them in moderation. And one thing that is key in the perimenopause and menopause phase is 
you have to watch the amount of carbs you eat because your body can't process them in the same way. You don't need as much. And any excess is going to be converted to fat and it will collect specifically around the middle. And this is something that many women during the perimenopause and many menopause phase report that they are finding that they're putting on weight around the tummy, around the middle. And that is specifically due to, and this word is key, excess carbohydrates. So we need to review our lifestyle, review our energy requirement and eat accordingly. So that's my sort of three top food um, tips. So it's sugar, alcohol, and carbohydrates. All of those need to be eaten in moderation and carefully considered during these phases. Amazing. Thank you. And are there any foods that we can start to really bring into our diet? So it's always nice when we hear that we can eat more of certain things. So what do you usually recommend in terms of adding in? Yes, it's it's a really lovely way to, to look at it. It's what can we add in? And when we add in foods, we will naturally see those other foods that I've just talked about fall by the wayside a little bit, but it's a more natural thing. You're not actively removing them. You're just focusing on increasing other foods. And it's a more positive way of of eating. It's a more sustainable way of eating. Um, And it's more enjoyable because like you say, isn't it more fun to think about what we can include? So vegetables, vegetables, vegetables. I cannot stress the importance of vegetables for so many reasons. The, The obvious reasons are that Vegetables are packed with vitamins and minerals. All these vitamins and minerals are key to making our bodies work efficiently, um, making our bodies you know, have everything that they need. And if our body has everything it needs, it's going to work efficiently. You are going to feel amazing. So that is key. But one of the other reasons that vegetables are so important are is that vegetables are known as phytoestrogens. So phyto means plant and estrogens obviously is the, the hormone estrogen. Now, as we approach perimenopause, and indeed once we reach menopause, our estrogen levels are initially decreasing and then when in menopause are at a very low level. So one way of, of replacing that hormone, that hormone is by eating foods that are naturally high in phytoestrogens, plant estrogens. So the more vegetables you eat, the more estrogens you can start replacing. Now, it's never going to be as good as an actual hormone replacement where you are perhaps taking, you know, hormone orally or as an injection or in any other form, but it's actually going to play a significant role in increasing those levels or at least balancing those levels. Because quite often the big problem is not so much the lack of estrogen, it's the the level of estrogen in compared with other hormones. And it's not only other sex hormones, we're talking cortisol, adrenaline, as well as um, progesterone and testosterone, and even thyroid hormones and so many more hormones. It's about the balance. So by eating more vegetables, we're going to be redressing that balance. So vegetables, key, phytoestrogen. But the ultimate phytoestrogens are actually in soy foods. So soy foods like certainly soy protein foods, so tofu, soy yogurt, soy um, uh, cheeses, soy milks, but we do need to be careful with soy. And I want 
all your listeners to be really aware of this. This is not just a question of going and buying a soy milk or a soy yogurt. You do not need to replace cow's milk or any other milk with a soy milk. And in fact, I would actually advise you not to do that because then you're possibly having too much of one thing. But if you are going to choose any soy food, it needs to be good quality. So literally turn over, look at the ingredients and make sure that the soy that is in that food is from the soybean itself. So it's a natural soy and not a soy isolate, which a lot of cheaper brands or mass produced um, soy products are going to have because obviously it's cheaper and it's more efficient, but it's a soy isolate. And that actually, ironically, can disrupt your hormone balance. So, you know, the irony is you're eating those soy foods to try and address your, your hormone imbalance, but actually you can be causing um, a little bit more of an imbalance. So I wouldn't say switch completely, but I would say, you know, perhaps think about tofu, for example, as a protein element in your meal. You don't have to be vegan or vegetarian to choose tofu. It's a great nutritious ingredient that you can include every now and again. And the third food group that I would recommend is actually beans and pulses, legumes. So perhaps, you know, cannellini beans, butter beans, any shape or color that you see on your supermarket shelves, these are amazing. So they are another group of phytoestrogens. So they are going to go a little way to addressing that estrogen imbalance. I use phytoestrogens um, beans a lot in my food. So they are the protein source. It's a plant-based protein. They are a fiber source. They're going to help you feel fuller for longer. They're going to help you address that blood sugar balance that I was talking about earlier. So they're a great food group. Plus they're so practical. So you can have those in your larder at any time. If you haven't shopped, it is very likely you can put a healthy, nutritious meal together. So yeah, I would say vegetables, key, can't stress that enough, soy foods, and also legumes. So beans and pulses. Those are three food groups that I think really need to feature um, regularly in your meal choices. Wonderful. Such, such great advice. And I'd love to step into the second area you talked about, which was the exercise. Would you tell us a little bit about the exercise that you use to navigate your way through the menopause, but also what you recommend to your clients as well? Yeah. So, um, With the menopause, osteoporosis is a consideration. So with decreasing estrogen, our bones are at risk of becoming what we call a little bit more spongy. Now, with that, it's all about preservation of your bone integrity. So preserving what you've already got, compacting your bones so that they are stronger. Now, to do that, you need a little bit of impact exercise. Now, I cannot do, and this is me on a personal level, everybody is different, but I really struggle with high impact exercise now. You know, if I do a session, I always end up injured, my hip hurts, you know, I've done something to my shoulder, I've done something to my ankle. I'm not in the position now where I want to hamper my mobility and I don't want to hamper my, you know, uh, my health and my, my structural health, physical health. However, walking, I cannot stress enough how important and valuable that is because it is an impact exercise. If it's a brisk walk, it's also a high 
um, high intensity exercise. So it's an aerobic exercise. So you do not need to run or jog or do high impact sessions, personal training sessions, if you don't want to. Obviously, if you've been doing them regularly and you are comfortable and you enjoy doing them, that's a completely different scenario. So I'm not at all saying that's not a good thing to do. But me on a personal level, I find I need to just be a little bit more careful and I love walking. I think when you're out, if you can do it in the open air, in green spaces, there are so many studies to suggest that walking in green spaces really has a huge impact on your overall well-being. Plus, of course, the walking itself. Um, so it's, you know, with your mental health and your physical health. So walking for me is key. And I do try and reach that sort of standard 10,000 steps. I think it's a great measure. I don't always reach it. I do pretty much always re- reach around six or 7,000, but it usually means I have to go out again, you know, to, to reach the 10,000, but it's a good one to aim for. So I would have that in mind. So walking is great, but also we also need to focus on stretching. And so it's flexibility and boosting your strength at this stage in life, because if your muscle strength isn't good, that is your whole physical integrity that is compromised. Um, If you can't stretch when you need to, you are more likely to injure yourselves and damage yourselves. If you injure yourselves, you're hampered. Your lifestyle isn't the same. And when you reach that menopause, these things are even more important. So again, it's exaggerating, but exaggerating in the things that really are going to make a difference. So boosting your your, um, flexibility, through exercises and activities like yoga and also boosting your strength. Now, you can do that using weights. Hand weights are sufficient. Um, So low impact exercise sessions, but using weights, so creating that resistance to build your muscle strength, but also realizing that actually if you did something like yoga, you're using your body weight as a, as a resistance. You don't need hand weights. Um, you know, just being able to hold your body in a, you know, a press up position, for example, it could be a low impact press up. So, you know, with your knees on the ground is enough to build your strength. So, you know, walking exercise sessions with weights and yoga are the three exercise activities that I, I swear by and, and really try and incorporate regularly. Same, exactly the same. They're my exercise choices as well. I find that walking is something I really got into at the beginning of lockdown. And you know, when we could only go out for like whatever it was, 30 minutes a day. And I've really kept up that habit, whatever I'm doing, whatever my day looks like, making sure I walk every day. Yoga has always been a big habit of mine. And I've always tried to include strength within that but also you know I enjoy going to the gym but I'm the same as you I don't do high impact you'll never find me in a spin class you'll never find me in an aerobics class you know I like to do things at my own pace and listen to my body but from what I hear you saying and I know this is a message that I give a lot as well it's really about listening to your body and understanding what forms of exercise are right for you listening to how your body responds to certain types of exercise and when you find ones that you know really resonate with you 
do a little bit more of that. Perhaps you enjoy walking in nature. Well, okay, if you're going through um, perimenopause or menopause, maybe really dedicate yourself to doing that daily, getting your 10,000 steps in. So really, really great messages. And the third thing that you mentioned right at the beginning of our chat was relaxation and how important relaxation, whether it be meditation, looking after our wellness, I guess, in, in many, many ways is so important as we get into perimenopause and menopause. Maybe you could talk us through a little bit about that. Oh, I cannot stress how important relaxation is. And as women, we have this guilt thing that, you know, you can't sit down and relax and you can't have time on your own. And actually, in reality and in fairness, it's really difficult to find that time when you've got young children, you know, working, running a home, you know, you're usually, you know, everybody's beck and call. It's really not easy. Um, it's, again, something you have got to try and find the time to do. But it doesn't mean that you have to take a whole morning out or a whole day out, or a whole week out, even just five minutes sitting down with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a herbal tea, if you know how coffee and tea don't agree with you, just allowing yourself to sit in a chair and looking out the window, just sitting there buried in your own thoughts for five, 10 minutes before you've got to go out and school run, before you've got to jump on a Zoom, before you've got to get cooking it can be hugely beneficial. You know, perhaps if you can actually even go out for a walk, if it's a 10 minute walk, that's still better than not doing it. Now, there is so much research out there to say that if you do, say, three sessions of 10 minutes of walking, it's actually the same benefits as doing one whole 30-minute session. So I think, you know, when I first read that, I thought, I'm really happy hearing that because sometimes I don't have time to do, say, 30 minutes, but I could just go around the block. I could just get my trainers on, put a coat on, and just go out there. Mind over matter. Don't overthink it. Just go. How many times are you going to come back saying, I wish I hadn't done that? You're never going to. So it's really worth doing that. But if it's raining, it's miserable, it's freezing cold, or frankly, too hot, just sit down and take that time. I actually believe in sitting down and doing nothing. So try not to have the phone in your hand, you know, try not to, you know, be on the phone talking to somebody, just sit there buried in your thoughts, allow your mind to wander, allow your thoughts to wander. You never know, even if you come out of there and you've decided what you're going to cook for for that day, you've decided what you're going to shop for when you go out shopping later you've clarified your thoughts. You've given yourself that time to think. And then you don't have to think about that. It's going to be one less thing that's going to confuse your head, confuse your thoughts, occupy your time later on. And it's going to help overall with your relaxation. You're just going to be a little bit calmer. So don't feel guilty. In fact, the opposite, make the time and take the time. If you're that type of person, diarize it. Put it into your diary. Between 11.30 and 12 o'clock, I am sitting down and drinking coffee. Um, And I don't necessarily do it with anyone. I don't have to meet anyone to do that to make me feel less guilty. I'm just going to sit down and do it on my own. I know many people like to diarize an exercise session for that very reason to make it happen. So really allow that time. And I think another key point in the day that a lot of women are guilty of is that end of the day. You know, once the day is over, the meal is over, the dishwasher is loaded, the kitchen is clean, the kids are 
calm. Perhaps they're not in bed, but they're, you know, they've done their homework. They're ready for bed. They're having that quiet time. It is actually allowed for you to take that time and relax. But the key thing here is giving yourself permission. It's okay. The day is over. You've achieved a lot. Even if you haven't achieved a lot, it was one of those days and that's it. It's too late to do anything about that. The following day is when you can do something about it. And your best chance of doing something about it the following day is giving yourself that permission to relax and therefore giving yourself the best shot of having a good night's sleep and waking up feeling revived. So give yourself permission, ladies, to relax. It will make a big difference. Yes, I agree completely and wholeheartedly for sure. And just to finish, May, I would love to ask you um, of everything you've already mentioned, or maybe it's something you haven't yet mentioned, if you were to share one top tip for inner peace and true wellness, what would that be? Oh, what a lovely question. I think, you know, that's something that, I don't know, have I thought about that? I suppose I must have because, you know, it's something that that is really valuable to me because, you know, when I feel good, I'm, I'm a different person. You know, I'm peaceful, I'm relaxed. I think... What it is, is don't be too harsh on yourself. We have such high expectations of ourselves. We read it a lot. You are enough. What you're doing is enough. It really is. Because what you're doing is enough for today. Tomorrow, you may do a little bit more. It feels good. It feels natural. You're not overthinking it. That is enough as well. But it doesn't mean to say that what you did yesterday, which wasn't as much, wasn't enough. So think about what you're doing. Try and be not to be harsh on yourself and allow yourself to think that is enough, but never stagnate, never stand still. Always keep pushing yourself, but not because you you are disappointed with with what you've achieved or what you're doing. It's because you always want to grow and progress. And I think if you do that, you know, you can't help but feel inner peace because you are progressing. You're not stagnating. You are bettering yourself. But it's a personal thing. It's not a competition. It's not something you need to speak about. It's not something you need to share. It's you and your thoughts and what you want to achieve. Um, So, you know, just keep that in mind in our busy lives. Always keep progressing. Don't stagnate. And what you're doing is enough. Yes, I agree. One of my favorite affirmations is I am enough. And I think if we can all say that to ourselves a few times a day, it just takes the pressure off and just reminds us that we are doing enough and we are enough. And by doing that, we then naturally may want to improve the way we're living, improve ourselves, you know, reach our goals. But I think it starts with that self-acceptance and that knowing that who we are at the moment, in the present moment, is enough. So Absolutely, absolutely. Just taking that pressure off. I think there are Mm -hmm. too many other things that you know, are stressful for us. So yeah, taking the pressure, I think that's really key. And you are in control of that. 
Absolutely, May. And something which you have coming up, which I know is very, very exciting, is your menopause retreats, which I know is very much based on a lot of what you talked about today, the yoga, the nutrition, the relaxation, the wellness. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that before we finish. Yes, I mean, it absolutely encompasses everything that we have talked about. You know, I run health retreats in France, in the Loire Valley. I own and run a chateau here. So it's the most incredible setting. And I love welcoming, um, you know, my guests here on a four-night retreat where, you know, you live the May way. It's all the things that we have talked about, good food, exercise, yoga. We do two yoga sessions a day. I have an incredible yoga instructor who, you know, people arrive on my retreat never having done yoga before. I personally was one of those people. And I'm, you know, I don't do yoga religiously. I don't do it every day. I love my retreats for the amount of yoga I do. And you come away feeling incredible, but not only from all of those things, but just from having the time away. You've given yourself permission to relax, to take time out. You've met like-minded people. You haven't had to cook. You haven't had to wonder about what I'm doing today. The program is set up and you are led along a program that really works. So you will leave invigorated, revived, um, re-energized, ready to embrace the changes that you've kick-started on the retreat, but you've also learned how you're going to continue it in a realistic way. This is not a, you know, a complete U-turn on everything that you do in your life, but there is undoubtedly going to be changes that you make. And from, I've been running these retreats for eight years now. And, you know, a lot of my clients are still doing the things that they kick-started on the retreat because they've just become a way of life. So yes, um, end of September, it's a yoga and menopause retreat in the Loire Valley. And, um, you know, all the details are there on my website. But if you can't make that one, I run them regularly and just stay in touch. Follow me on on Instagram, May Simpkin Nutrition. Um, you'll be you'll be inspired with you know lots of health messages, lots of healthy recipes. I really want to make healthy eating, healthy living as easy as possible and um, as realistic and practical as possible because that way it's achievable. So yeah, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk about um, my favorite part of uh, event in my calendar. <laughs> my That's retreat. amazing. And we will put all the details in the show notes so anyone listening can go thank check you. it out, see what it's all about, follow you on Instagram as well, check out your website. Thank you so much, May. It was so lovely to have you back on the podcast again it's always such a pleasure talking to you learning from you and i know my listeners will feel exactly the same thank you so much danielle likewise it's real pleasure to be here with you so i hope you've enjoyed this episode if you'd like more information on face yoga or you'd like to become a face yoga teacher just head to our website faceyogaexpert.com for more information if you'd like to do a regular structured daily face yoga program to get the best results, you can either use one of my apps, just search Danielle Collins on your app store, or you can use my book, just search Danielle Collins Face Yoga on Amazon. And thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you again next time.